I will also say that this holistic spirituality highlights a great paradox of the spiritual life, and that is the call to be who we are while at the same time being willing to transcend who we are when that is what's needed. And so I think that's that's the important nuance that Bob brings to the Myers-Briggs, I think, as it relates to our formation, is that we're not just trying to nurture our strengths. We're not just trying to build better teams, which is often the way Myers-Briggs get used. He's using the Myers-Briggs to say that we need to settle into who we are while at the same time being willing to transcend who we are for the sake of love. Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, founder of the Transforming Center, and in this season, I am glad to be back with my conversation partner, Steve Weens, senior pastor of Genesis in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alum, which means we've spent time laughing, growing, and transforming in the presence of Christ in community with other leaders. This season, we're walking through Invitation to a Journey by Robert Mulholland. It's part of the Transforming Resources collection published by InterVarsity Press. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we invite you to become a monthly patron of the podcast. Just visit transformingcenter.org patron to sign up and learn more. We thank you so much for your monthly support at any level. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Welcome, everybody, to episode four Holistic Spirituality, Part 1. What we covered last episode, Creation Gifts, is looking using the Myers-Briggs to look at uh, some of the preferences that we have, but then also looking at if we only operate according to our preferences, we can develop a one-sided spirituality, leaving our undernourished parts undernourished, and we can begin to disintegrate in ways that are harmful to us and to others. And so we really want to look at what does it mean to cultivate a holistic spirituality. Uh, so Ruth, talk to us about a good working definition of holistic spirituality. Mm-hmm. Well, a holistic spirituality is going to nurture the whole person, the whole person in terms of body, mind, soul, you know, the, all those aspects, relationships and all of that. But it's also going to nurture the whole person, not simply just our preferred ways of operating. And in fact, if we're operating out of a one-sided spirituality, we're actually just creating a spirituality that corresponds to our preference, which is a pretty dangerous situation to be in, as we talked about last time. I will also say that this holistic spirituality highlights a great paradox of the spiritual life, and that is the call to be who we are while at the same time being willing to transcend who we are when that is what's needed. And so I think that's that's the important nuance that Bob brings to the Myers-Briggs, I think, as it relates to our formation, is that we're not just trying to nurture our strengths. We're not just trying to build better teams, which is often the way Myers-Briggs get used. He's using the Myers-Briggs to say that we need to settle into who we are while at the same time being willing to transcend who we are for the sake of love, you know, for the sake of, yes. of our wholeness in Christ. And so it's interesting that that we're being called to say, yes, this is who I am at the level of personality, but at the same time, we're called to transcend that personality by cultivating and then accessing whatever personality trait is most needed in the moment, and to cultivate whatever personality trait love calls us to in the moment, to actually ask the question, what does love require from me right now, whether it's your preferred pattern or not? 
and to offer what love is requiring rather than insisting on being myself, <laughs> which is a distinctly <laughs> yes. Western idea, you know, to be myself, that the most important thing is to be myself. <laughs> is everything else good? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. <laughs> we've seen how that goes, right, right. Steve? <laughs> I can tell you from personal experience, everything good does not flow from that idea in nope. my life. Nope. <laughs> I agree. In, in fact, the spiritual journey is going to confront us in exactly that place, you know? Well, yeah, that was what you talked about in an earlier episode about how, you know, the taking up our cross is exactly that. Mm -hmm. It's so that we can love others. We will look at and linger with mm -hmm. those areas that were uh, less than formed. And, that's right. You know, so I think that's a good reminder of the good but painful process mm -hmm. that it requires of us. Yeah. And so then there's, a, there's one other aspect of this wholeness that I want to name. I've named, you know, wholeness in that a holistic spirituality is going to r really work with all aspects of being a human, um, body, mind, soul, relationship, life and community, all that. It's also going to take us beyond just simply cultivating our own preferred ways of operating. But also Bob points out, again, we're going to go backwards a little bit early in the book. He says, that we also need to realize that psychology is not a substitute for spirituality, but spirituality is not a substitute for psychology. So he's also talking about wholeness as it relates to bringing together our psychology and our spirituality. And we had a whole we had a whole episode on that in the last season where we talked about the integration of psychology and spirituality. But I want to bring it back here because I think that Bob's work with the Myers-Briggs is actually another way in which he integrated psychology and spirituality in in, a, in an effective way that calls us forward in our transformational journey. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And that um, places where we're unloving or places where we are broken and cannot bring what's needed in the situation where our relationships are stuck and broken and we cannot transcend ourselves, those are places where some psychological work might be needed. And so the Myers-Briggs can actually be helpful in that way as well. You know, so for someone who's so stuck in their head that they can't feel anything, well, there might be some psychological work as to why that person can't feel anything right. and won't allow them to feel anything. And so the work will be psychological before they can answer the spiritual call to transcend that particular personality pattern to bring what is most needed in their world. So I, I just think that working with Myers-Briggs gives us another way in to this integration of our psychology and our spirituality. So, Steve, let's you and I just riff a little bit and talk a little bit about what we've experienced with some of these, um, the personality types, and um, what are some of the positive expressions, what are some negative things that we've seen, um, what does the undernourished shadow side perhaps look like for each type, and um, just, just talk a little bit about each one and, and see what comes. It's going to be good. Yeah, it's going to be good. All right, so the extrovert. Um, certainly some of the positive expressions for an extrovert are that they will come, they come towards you. They come towards people. They're seeking out relationship. They have a vision for community. They build community. They, they plan fun things, you know, yeah. they, for the group to do. Um, they, they really are the ones who champion community out, out of who they fundamentally are. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm thinking of, um, a couple of friends of mine who are big time extroverts. Mm -hmm. And they make me feel wanted and special, mm -hmm. you know, and right. um, they, they have room for me. Yeah. And I think that's a huge gift that they bring. 
Right. And, you know, I wonder if churches could even survive without extroverts. Probably not. You know, I don't think so, because the extroverts are the ones that plan a lot of the togetherness, mm -hmm. which is so much a part of the communal life. So that's definitely a positive aspect of the extroverted type. What are some of the negatives um, that you've experienced? Well, I think at times, um, folks that are own, really overdeveloped, maybe, um, dominate conversations. Yes. Mm -hmm. They they lack an awareness of what's happening in the room. Like read mm -hmm. the room, buddy. You know. Yeah. Um, and people are crying here. Right. They're not. They don't want the joke right now. They're crying. Right. Right. <laughs> and I think there yeah. also can be a tendency toward um, diminishing real feelings in in favor of the excitement of the moment, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So th those are a few things that I've noticed. Yeah. And what I've noticed too is that, um, and this is one of the hardest things for me about being with an extrovert, is when there's just too much talking. Right. And when there's a moment where a little silence would be helpful or you hit a place in conversation where what someone has shared is so impactful that you just wish the room would go quiet for a minute yeah. and they will often rush in with whatever it could be that they you know oh i know just how you feel or whatever but they rush in as opposed to being able to leave the space open and quiet and i think that's one of the things that i struggle with the most um when an extrovert who hasn't done this work yeah. is you know is in the room because and this takes us so naturally to um what's needed for wholeness you know, what's needed for wholeness is the ability to sit mm -hmm. in silence sometimes mm -hmm. before the great unfixables of life, to be open and available to God without an agenda sometimes. Um, extroverts struggle with solitude and silence because it goes against the grain, and yet the practice of solitude and silence can be very meaningful for them when they're able to use it to get in touch with some of the deeper dynamics of life and be in touch with the Spirit of God deep within. They get more in tune with what different moments actually need and call for so they can bring more sensitivity to the moments that they're in with other people. Well, so Mulholland also points out that um, there are special temptations and vulnerabilities for each one. And I think it's important for us to talk about these, Steve, because we got to watch for these. This is our, this is part of our formation. Um, we, we're not just going to focus on the strengths. There are there are, there are temptations. There are vulnerabilities in our different types. And so the, the temptation or the vulnerability for the extrovert might be to live a distracted life always distracted by out there yeah you know always looking for the dopamine hit of another that's right round of applause or another exactly party. yeah or another like yes on your instagram or facebook yeah. or you know you're always out there sort of reaching yep. for what's coming from out there um and maybe even a tendency to follow the crowd yep. as well yep. you know to a suggestibility where you just sort of follow where the crowd's going because you're so energized by the crowd right um, right so for extroverts to be able to go down deep and to know this is what i this is what i believe i can't go with the crowd right now that would represent significant transformation i think true what about what about introvert well um i think some positive expressions for the introvert is that they can be very independent they don't they are not they don't follow the crowd as easily um they can be in touch with the deeper dynamics of life and and if they're a healthy introvert they can actually bring that out in ways that are helpful to other people um even though they might not have as much desire superficial desire for community or um join in as easily 
in the social events and things, when they're there, they can actually deepen mm -hmm. the group's experience by asking a deeper question, um, taking the conversation in some ways that are more satisfying, maybe, for instance. Yes. So I think those are some of the positive expressions. And of course, introverts would be able to do some of the deep thinking, sit in solitude and silence and reflect and read and um, think deeply about things and bring that to any groups they're a part of, including their families, you know? Yeah, and I think introverts might say, hey, it's not that we hate people or can't be around people. Mm -hmm. We love people. We love being around one or two people. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. we need to go home, you know? Yes. Well, and yes, and I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that is a fine nuance. I think people do assume that maybe introverts don't like people, and that's just not true at all. They just like one or two right, a lot. Right, right. <laughs> and so they really are energized by being in that meaningful conversation with the one person. Right. So you come home from a, of a, from a gathering, the extrovert loved working the room yeah. and feels completely energized by the fact that they got to talk to so many people. Yeah. The introvert is energized by the fact that I sat in a corner mm -hmm. and talked to that one person and we had a meaningful exchange. Right. You know? And in fact, if they do the whole party and they don't get the meaningful exchange, uh -huh. Exhausting. Yeah, then the part, yeah, the party wasn't a success in their mind. So we got that. So what are some negative expressions, Steve? I think sometimes introverts can withhold and withdraw mm -hmm. in ways that, that yes. like we need what you think. We need what your, mm -hmm. we need your presence even. And, um, and I think that's maybe because of a scarcity mentality that, you know, if I, I, I have limited energy and so if I spend it doing this or that, I won't have enough for myself. Um, right. I think I see that a lot in, in introverts, that scarcity mm -hmm. mentality. <laughs> well, and because introverts are so happy being inside themselves, that withholding can be really easy for them. Oh, yeah. It can almost be an excuse to just go inside and not have to deal with what's happening um, and the, the, the actual challenge of being in relationship. Right. Um, so for, the other thing I think for introverts is, is that they can enter into morbid introspection. Yeah where they can spiral, whoo, can they spiral into depressive, dark thoughts. Um, and because they don't gravitate towards reaching out to people quite as easily, they can go dark for a while. It can get pretty dark before, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, before they reach out to people in a way that can pull them out. Um, so I think introverts have to be really careful about that. I agree. What are some activities or kinds of things that introverts can uh, do for wholeness to move toward wholeness? Mm -hmm. Well, I think one thing we can do, and I just, oops, I just said, I just outed myself there, Steve. Mm, that's okay. <laughs> that's um, okay. Yes. No big surprise there. Yes, yes, right. Um, well, I think one thing we can do is definitely make sure that we have community. Yeah. And, and not just you know, the the social gatherings, which is not going to be all that satisfying a lot of times, but make sure that we have community and reach out for it when we need it, rather than spiraling into the morbid subjectivity and the morbid introspection, which is just so dangerous. It really, it really is. And then there can also be a sort of inaction, you know, the problems are too deep. We don't see how there can be any answers. Mm -hmm. We don't, you know, we don't know what to do. So we are frozen and not do we can be frozen and not do anything because it all seems so bleak and dark and beyond hope and beyond help yeah um it's an easy place you know to go to so actually participating in things that get you outside yourself like um you know 
right now when issues of racial justice are at the forefront of all of our minds to actually, rather than staying home alone in your house, actually go out and walk in a peaceful protest and get out there, yes. you know, and stand with others and for others rather than just sitting and thinking about it back at home. Yeah, the way I would say it is like, allow yourself to be surprised by the gift of participation in community mm -hmm. or in something like that. I think introverts exactly. can feel like, no, the only way I can fill up is by reading a book or being by myself. And mm -hmm. I mean, I'll out myself, I'm an introvert and yeah. I have been at many times uh, where I even have a meeting with two or three people coming up and I don't want to go mm -hmm. because I don't yeah. feel like I have the energy, but then I do go right. and I'm surprised. And it by, feels good. Yes, I'm surprised yes. by how, how much I needed it. And I didn't mm -hmm. know that I needed that, but right. I did. That's right. Yeah. Right. And I, you know, I think maybe we could also, um, be speaking right now about the question of love and how does an introvert or an extrovert transcend themselves in love right so the extrovert is willing to stop partying for a minute when what's most needed when somebody is sharing something hard and difficult and the tears are flowing you really discipline that partying part and you stop and you're and you're quiet and you don't rush in mm -hmm. you just sit there with them for the introvert to reach out is a loving thing to do when everything in you says, I just want to stay by myself in my house, right. you know? Um, and so it's a beautiful thing. I, I just find it to be such a beautiful thing to be invited to love um, and to transcend myself in love and for love. And that's, that, that's a tremendous motivation to transcend oneself and to move outside one's preferred patterns. I agree I because it, and, and that takes it above the, the simple self-improvement or balancing that's right that, yeah. that's just that's not very motivating but to learn to love people well i can get behind that and and it's really different also than just feeling your own inadequacies right you know right to say oh i'm just terrible at getting there on time i mean i can go there really easily because i fail at being on time a lot because i'm a p on the myers-briggs and and you know rather than getting discouraged continue to hear the call to love you yeah. know Okay, next time I'm I'm gonna work harder at that because I want to love these people really well, and me being late really affects them. Right. Um, and so I don't beat myself up, but I know that another moment will come when I can work hard again to love and to transcend myself in love. Yes. Let's move on to the next dyad: mm -hmm. yep. uh, sensing and intuition. Yeah. So the sensing ones are the really really concrete people and. They, I think, always they, they always have a great deal of very practical yep. wisdom in the yep. world, and they get they have good practical ideas for how to do things really really well in a material world. Um, and so, what I experience in the sensing folks is that they are very loving and trying to do practical things for people, um, practical loving things, and for them. That's a, it's a great gift, and it's a great gift to those who receive that gift. Um, I think that they bring a gift to the world of, of trying to live well within the midst of material, physical, practical limitations. You know, they're always thinking in terms of what's practical um, and what's, you know, logical, I guess. Um, one of my sons has got to be just off the charts S. <laughs> And he's frustrating at times for me because I'm off the charts N, but he's delightful in the ways that he observes and what he observes. I, I really have learned to appreciate it. 
So what what are what are what's the shadow side? Uh, there's a sense that sensing people uh, have the inability to to read a room, um, and mm-hmm. you know may come in with a real super practical <laughs> suggestion. Yes, or, and they're not feeling anything. They're not feeling anything. Um, people need to be listened to, and they're trying to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they are surprised when that offends someone because they're that's their that's them being an observer and a helper, but it isn't helpful <laughs> or mm-hmm. and it's not actually very observant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what what would be what would what would move this type towards wholeness in Christ, do you think? Well, I'll bring up my son again and again. He's 11 years mm-hmm. old, but um, he has learned to. Um, so he wakes up first thing in the morning, he comes downstairs and I'm down there. I'm always the first one down there. And he always has, Ruth, he has a million things he wants to do that day. And he wants Aww. to talk about all of them. You know? So he'll, he'll so tell cute. me about the things that he yeah. has. And there, there are times though, when it's, it gets overwhelming, you know? And so mm-hmm. the other day he was talking to me about something and he looked at me and he said, Oh dad, is your mind filled up? Oh, so he Should I could stop, feel you, you know, and oh. it was very sweet. And I was able to say, I love what you're telling me, but my mind is a mm-hmm. little full right now. Mm-hmm. And maybe yeah. you could tell me more later. And you know what? He was mm-hmm. 100% fine with that. Like he wasn't yeah. hurt by that. He wasn't. Yeah. So I think developing an awareness where yes. when you're <laughs> mm-hmm. filling someone's mind. Yep. Yep. Self and other. Self and Self other. And other awareness. awareness. Yes. 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 That's the stretch. That's the challenge. Yeah. All right. What, are the, what, what about the special temptations or vulnerabilities of that type? Well, I think, you know, fear of change might be one Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, Because I think, uh, again, when you rely on what you can see and and smell and sense uh, as a way to sort of figure out where you are, boy, you change the environment, then right. And and you don't risk, you know, you don't risk as well when you when you feel like you don't have it all worked out practically speaking it's hard to take the risk and just go in a direction yeah you know okay well the the um the ends the word stand the end stands for intuitive um yeah what are they like what some are they? positive yeah. Well, yeah well for one thing um they do feel like they know what's going on from an intuitive yeah. point yeah. of view <laughs> yeah. they're not always totally um, right but they're they're yeah. not yeah. but they think they, think they, they are, are. Yes. Yes. they they definitely think they are um but i mean the strength of course is that they often are quote they are very intuitive yeah. they can tell what's going on in the yeah. room and do what's appropriate they can tell they can see the the one person in the room who's not doing very well and um get up next to them and through their intuition call out yeah. Um, what's happening for that person and be with yeah. them, you know, just be with them. Um, they, I think that the ends can, you know, really open to the mystery. Yes. They're, they love the whole mysterious mystical side of the faith and everything else in life. And so it's just not hard for them right. to enter into the mystery. Whereas for the, for the, um, for the sensing folks, man, mystery is just, mm-hmm not a thing they can go to very right. easily so so yeah so the intuitives can do that um but i think on the downside they can all they can also be subject to mood swings mm-hmm. and being you know picking up on what other people are feeling and taking those into themselves 
so they don't even know what they're feeling oh, yeah. anymore. 100%. Um, yeah, and so they can be, and they can be prone to, you know, to depression and things like that because they are so in tune. And so the dark things that happen in the world affect them very deeply as well. Um, and whereas other people might be able to go on and act like everything's okay, they just can't because the hard things that go on in the world affect them so deeply. You know, I've also seen intuitive types in group settings gravitate toward the person who's feeling the worst, like who's feeling mm -hmm. whatever's happening the hardest. I agree. And then sort of yes. assuming that everybody's feeling that way. Yes. And yeah. Then, and elevating right. it so that the whole group then is defined by that right. one person's negative emotion. Right. Yeah, one person oh, is, yes. is totally valid, you know, but it's mm -hmm. probably not reading the room to think that everybody yeah. is feeling that way. Right. So what would spiritual, what would transcendence look like then for this kind of a person? How would that person transcend themselves? Well, I think there's a sense of getting outside of yourself, going mm -hmm. in, go, you just said going on a, on a peaceful protest where you're not solving mm -hmm. a problem, but you are getting outside of your own thoughts mm -hmm. and feelings. Yeah. Anything that can take you outside of, you know, even, even doing silence and meditation, um, it, that mm -hmm. feels like you're going internally, but actually you're learning to that you're not your thoughts and feelings when you when yes you enter into, and you learn yeah. how to watch yes. them rather than allow yourself to be defined exactly. by them yes i think that's an excellent point that that solitude and silence not used for morbid introspection but used for becoming more of an observer yes. and observing your thoughts and feelings seeing that they're not the ultimate reality maybe you know right-sizing yep. them you know, a little bit by getting some distance, that is really, really helpful. It's And it's a discipline too, um, because a lot of times we want to fix ourselves in another way, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing about intuitive types. They think they know what's wrong and how to fix it. Yeah. And just, mm -hmm. just trust me, just trust me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. Well, I think we've talked about the special yeah. temptations, which is that morbid introspection, the subjectivity that can be there. Thanks so much for that, Ruth. That's such helpful information, both for myself and the people that I love. We're going to cover the remaining two dyads, the thinking-feeling dyad and the judging-perceiving dyad in the next episode, titled Holistic Spirituality, Part 2. Ruth, as we close this episode, do you have a prayer that you would leave us with? Yes. And again, these are Bob Mulholland's prayers, and it's just a blessing to be able to pray them together here as we open up and uncross legs and open our hands and straighten up our backs and are very attentive to God. Let's let this prayer go deep into our hearts. Oh God of wholeness, when I consider the lack of balance and wholeness in my life, the one-sided spiritualities with which I attempt to appease you, to appear good in the eyes of others and to please myself. I come face to face with my need for a holistic spiritual life. Help me, I pray, to hunger and thirst for the wholeness you have for me in Christ. Help me to be willing to surrender to you whatever stands in the way of such wholeness. Amen. On behalf of Ruth and the entire Transforming Center staff, thank you so much for listening. We're currently accepting applications for our next Transforming Community Spiritual Formation Experience for Christian Leaders. You can learn more by visiting transformingcenter.org 
slash TC. This podcast is a ministry of the Transforming Center and is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. If you've enjoyed Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast, please leave us a review and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can also become a partner of the podcast and get exclusive benefits by visiting transformingcenter.org slash patron. Thanks so much for your support and for listening to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership.